and welcome to tonight's edition of Resistance TV. I'm joined this evening by Dr. Piers Robinson. He's a political scientist and co-director of the Organisation for Propaganda Studies. He's also a former professor and chair at the University of Sheffield. Uh, my other guest this evening is Fabio Vigi. He is a professor of critical theory and Italian at Cardiff University. We're looking at the impact on civil liberties of the COVID crisis tonight and how big pharma and big tech are profiteering out of this pandemic. But let's start by considering the question of civil liberties. Wales has already agreed a version of a COVID passport. So what's your thoughts on that, Piers, if we can perhaps start with you? Well, on the issue of the COVID passports, I mean, I actually think that we need to start in a place slightly wider than that in terms of thinking about the issue and why the issue of COVID passports is now on the agenda and so on. And I think the broader picture here, a year and a half, two years into this uh, event with COVID-19, we're now seeing unprecedented developments in terms of restrictions on civil liberties, uh, the COVID passports, which you've just mentioned. But there are also, it's becoming very clear that there are very significant underlying political and economic agendas, which um, are at the very least uh, taking advantage of COVID-19 in order to usher through some pretty major changes. And I think yeah. it's in that context that this question of vaccine passports has started yeah. to emerge. Um, and what I think we need to do is that we need to start to try to understand what these broader political and economic processes are so that we can get a better grasp on the specific issues such as a vaccine mandate. Hi. Hi. Sorry What's about happened? the technical difficulties, everybody. So I'm speaking to Piers. I'm sorry that we were trying to fix those difficulties. And uh, so you were talking about you wanted to get back to the cause of everything so could you could you tell me a bit more please yes i mean me chris said uh, raised the issue of, of vaccine passports vaccine mandates um and of course we just had to vote in wales and of course this is an issue which is emerging across multiple countries um and the point i was trying to make is that what it's important to do at this point in time two years into the COVID event is to try to understand underlying political and economic agendas um, which are being ushered through under the cover of COVID-19. Because, I mean, put, putting it frankly, what's very clear now is that um, COVID-19 is, is more than simply a health crisis, okay? It became fairly clear even within the first year that, for example, governments were using propaganda in order to exaggerate fear levels, in order to gain gain compliance with things such as lockdown. And we've seen that with the SPY-V papers, which came out and so on. But now, now that this is, is carrying on, as it were, that the crisis is carrying on, um, it's really becoming much clearer now that as with any major political event or any major event, that is being seen as advantageous by political actors and powerful political actors in order to push through some pretty major changes, and this is both economic changes, which I think Fabio will talk about, but also that there's an underlying political agenda, which you know some people have seen from the beginning, I think, with these uh, sort of terms, build back better, and people have talked about the World Economic Forum, and they've been very public from the very start about uh, their vision of a post, as it were, COVID um, world, and a very specific vision of how we are to live our lives. And, and it's clear that 
political agendas that related to that and economic agendas um, are at the very, very least taking advantage of COVID-19 and people's uh, concern and focus upon that. And it's very important that we start to become, and hopefully we'll talk a little bit more about the details of this. It's very important that people become more aware of these agendas um, so that we can actually start to have a, a serious debate about the direction that we're going in, um, and which includes a serious debate about vaccine mandates and what they're really about and vaccine passes and what they're really about. Yes, because um, I know that in the beginning, I always felt and a, a lot of a lot of my colleagues felt that uh, the mainstream media were were propagandizing from the very start, the fear aspect of of the pandemic. And, you know, there was a lot of talk at the beginning that uh, it was made. Was it created in a lab? Was it uh, sent to Wuhan by the American government or some arm of the American government? And uh, that allied with the the political geography of the of the war machine, um, mm you know trying to trying to combat or start a war with perhaps china um it, it made us all very very suspicious that there was a, a an agenda behind all of this and and nobody said anything about the fact that um even though it is a pandemic it's spread across borders so therefore it is a pandemic but do you, you know, people started saying, do you know anybody who's ill? No, um, it's very few, a, a very small percentage of the population that, that, that was getting ill. Um, and now that those figures are different, but I, I still don't know anybody who, who's ill. But, you know, perhaps perhaps you could just enlarge on that a bit. Well, on the specifics of COVID-19 itself, I mean, one of the indicators that I picked up early on was um, which indicated that there was real propaganda at work was uh, a exaggeration of threat and, and this came out in spy b documents the behavioral scientists who advised the government and, and the language used was how to sort of increase people's sense of fear or perception of fear but also very early on and this is probably one of the most important things for me was seeing a way in which pretty credible scientists were being smeared and suppressed from very early on. And you saw this in Germany with uh, Professor Bakhti, who's a very eminent uh, scientist, was raising questions about lockdown, and he's being smeared very quickly. And you also had this occurring in the UK and the US. Sunetra Gupta from Oxford has been smeared. Um, Martin Kuldoff, I think, is at Harvard, being smeared. And now, one and a half years in, there's actually a number of very large organizations representing scientists who are, who are questioning all aspects of this. And they've all been suppressed. Um, YouTube and Facebook have been willingly um, sort of censoring and taking videos off. We saw in the UK early on Ofcom giving guidance, um, carefully worded guidance to broadcasters that they should not include uh, opinions from scientists which were moving too far away from the government or World Health Organization. And all those, those things are important indicators, I think, of essentially a kind of suppression 
of scientific debate. And so at, at the very, very least, in the most generous reading possible, what, what you can say is that there, there is scientific dissensus over COVID-19, over lockdowns and over mass vaccination, but the public aren't really getting to see this dissensus because the scientists who are questioning it are being suppressed. And these aren't just outlier scientists. We're talking about people like Professor Robert Malone, who was an inventor of the mRNA technology, which of course is used in, 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 in the, um, with COVID-19 um, injection. And when you have people on that level <laughs> raising questions and then being attacked and smeared, um, you know, I think everyone has to think very long and hard about what they've been told about COVID-19 over the last year and a half from the mainstream media and the governments and, and what the reality actually is. And, and there's certainly, I, I think from my, um, well, from my understanding and also, but also research, is, is pretty clear that there's been propaganda operating on that level. Um, again, the most generous reading of this is this kind of idea that um, governments wanted to try to protect people and they felt they had to engage in exaggerating threat to get people to comply. That's the most generous reading. Um, there are many less, far less generous readings than that. But, but the issue now, is, as, as I sort of said at the start, was that we're now two, two, coming up to two years into this and we're all of the... All of the claims that people, some people made at the start about, you know, the origins of the virus and saying this will lead to digital ID, this will lead to, were dismissed as conspiracy theory. Um, but of course, this is where we are now. We're looking, we are facing the emergence of, of segregation, um, certainly here in Germany, with segregation emerging. Um, we've got suppression and lockdown clampdown, and Australia is the most extreme example of this. People in Canada are losing their jobs because they're not taking the vaccine. So we're moving into extraordinarily undemocratic and coercive uh, measures now. Um, and, and still in a context where that body of scientists who have been speaking out from the beginning, it's even bigger than it was a year and a half ago. And they're saying, look, this is, these things are wrong. So this is the point at which I think we all need to say, okay, is there something else going on? And yeah. is COVID-19 just getting used? A bit in the same way that the global war on terror, 9-11 rather, we know at the very least that Tony Blair and George Bush seized upon that in order to get regime change wars going. And the documents on that came out in the Chilcot inquiry, um, as well as a number of other sources confirm that. So it's that kind of political, you know, sort of how, how to make the most of a, of a crisis in order to do things. Um, yeah. And I think that's absolutely where we are at now with COVID-19 and, and what we as a public need to do in order to understand what's going on and, and where we're being taken. Yeah, as as independent media, my colleagues and myself, um, we all we all took a decision pretty early on that ordinarily, you see, if we get a story of any kind that that's going to impact ordinary people, which which all of this has the the entire structure and system surrounding this has impacted ordinary people far more than anybody else. I mean, the elite, the establishment, Boris Johnson's dad was still free to pop off abroad, wasn't he? Um, you know, um, I'm can't, trying to remember the guy who kissed his secretary behind the door, Gavin somebody or something. Um, yeah. Yes, so people, some people were, were free to behave um, as they were, as they wished to, and the ordinary people were... Um, 
were being curtailed. So uh, we, we thought, right, well, every time we get a story, we think, right, where are the, the scientists or the informed, knowledgeable people on this subject? And we always go to them and ask them to fact check um, our evidence, our stories. We could find nobody because uh, the, the, the people that we did know that were authorities on this subject were all being smeared and and cancelled. And, you know, if we put out an article that was, uh, say, uh, verified by Josie Bra, then um, they would say you can't you can't put that out because he's not on our list of verified authorities on this matter. So, you know, so we took a decision early on that, that we weren't getting involved in the entire COVID thing. The only thing that we did get involved in was the mass protests against uh, the police and law uh, act, you know, that they tried to bring in to, to first quell any outrage. And um, then they said that it was just right wing people who were protesting mm. the, uh, the lockdown where we knew it was just ordinary people, regardless of whether they were right wing or left wing. It was just ordinary people. Mm. Um, so, yeah, we, we could see firsthand that it was a huge propaganda operation. Um, your friend, uh, Fabio, should we bring him in? And uh, Yeah, can... absolutely. Fabio has, has sort of a very interesting analysis on, on the economic dimension of this. And this is critical. And it, it does link back to the point Chris raised about uh, vaccine passes. Um, so absolutely bring Fabio in. Hello. Hello. Nice to be in. Thank you. Okay. So uh, <laughs> I... <laughs> I'm like a member of the audience on this subject because of the fact that we were unable to verify any facts um, and we were only allowed to print propaganda. <laughs> so therefore, I know almost nothing on this subject. So I'm just like any member of the public, really, I think, that that's still in the dark. So please educate us. I don't, yeah, I'm not sure whether I'm going to educate you or not, but I'm going to give you my version of uh, of events and I'm going to look back a little bit to pre-COVID times because I'm going to try to make a connection between, which I've done in a recent article that I've published, between um, COVID and the economy, but a kind of reverse causality, as it were. So normally we think that COVID caused some kind of economic crisis and uh, made the situation worse for a lot of people even caused the financial crash in uh, March 2020. I'm going to argue that, that um, from what I found, at least from the evidence I have, that the financial crisis or the financial crash of a specific sector of the economy caused COVID as, in many ways, as a propaganda operation, right? Um, as Pierce was describing it. So we need to start, I think, from pre-COVID times, and I'm going to give you some dates just to give you references. Already in September 2019, some of you might remember it, the financial market, the US um, financial market, so basically Wall Street, was about to collapse, right? There was a huge liquidity trap, what is called in economic terms, in a specific, se a specific sector of Wall Street called the repo market. And um, you know the repo market, it, repo stands for uh, repurchase agreement. And it's a kind of financial tool 
that is very much widely used by banks to get cheap loans, fundamentally. And so cheap liquidity, short-term cheap liquidity uh, that they get to bet, to, to speculate on other markets, right? So it's very important. This, it's about basically um, about a trillion dollars exchanged every day on the repo market in normal conditions. So it's a huge pool of money that helps everybody betting in this huge Ponzi scheme that is the financial sector, that, you know, Wall Street effectively, right, as we all know. So something happened in mid-September 2019, which is fundamentally the, the interest rates uh, on repos went up from 2% to 10.5% in a matter of hours, right? So basically, everything froze. There was a massive liquidity trap. Um, people could not speculate, they didn't have the money. And, and basically what we risked at that point was a kind of domino effect that would have caused a massive financial crisis, um, which would have made 2008 look like a walk in the park, quite frankly, like a huge one. The contagion would have spread from the financial markets down to the uh, retail uh, circuit where we all are as mortals, as it were. And, um, and that would have caused disaster like literally potentially a civil war, you know, I'm thinking really something, a huge explosion, a huge deflagration that, that, that it wouldn't even compare with 2008, because in the meantime, we, we'd had um, 11 years of, of quantitative easing. So the financial sector had expanded even more, right? So it's a massive inflation in the financial sector. Something happens there, then we're all in trouble, basically, right? Because our economy is credit-based. So we need constantly to get money from the banks, the banks speculate in financial markets. So it's all connected, right? It's all connected. Something happens there. So the repo market was about to explode. And uh, the only way uh, to, to salvage and to repair the financial market, although provisionally, was to throw as much cash as possible into it. Okay. And this is something that, incidentally, the big players, so, you know, the big financial players knew was coming. There, there, are, there are documents that you can find on the web that detail very precisely conversations that these big players were having about the coming downturn. And by the big players, I mean, uh, I can name three big players, right, in all this. Um, the Fed, the Federal Reserve. So uh, a central bank of, of the United States, uh, BlackRock, which is the biggest financial uh, manager in the world. You know, if, if you can think of uh, an elite government of the world today, think of BlackRock. BlackRock and Vanguard together, they're the biggest players around. Um, and then also um, the Bank of International Settlements, which is the central bank of all central banks based in, in Basel in Switzerland. And it's the BIS that started sounding alarm bells about the coming downturn, as they called it, right? And they were saying to BlackRock and especially to central bankers, look, we've got to do something. We've got to, and, it, and I'm quoting here, we've got to insulate the real economy from the coming downturn in the financial sector. So already, this is already summer 2019. Okay, summer 2019, they were talking about the coming downturn. 
And uh, then, of course, they propose the way of, of, of avoiding uh, the worst damage. And the proposal came from BlackRock. There's a white paper that, that, that says we need to find a way to move uh, public money directly into private hands. Right, this is written. Same um, old story, by, isn't it? <laughs> by public money, it means, in this case, money created. We, we discovered that a couple of months later, money created out of nowhere by central banks, particularly the Fed, and then moved into the hands of private bankers who are, you know, they need to be helped because these holes in the financial market are, are, are going bigger and bigger. We need to help them sort of plug in those holes, right? And then, of course, uh, disaster actually happened. So we had this 2019 uh, uh, repo market, as as was uh, called then. <laughs> and uh, and what happened was exactly what BlackRock had prescribed. So we get central bank, the U.S. Fed, printing billions of dollars per week, injecting them into the financial market through the usual in the usual way so by purchasing assets uh, bonds etc so and 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 to sustain the the market that was about to explode and and here comes the really clever but also sadistic twist i think right because in order to be able to continue to print those astronomical amounts of money the only way for them to do it was by shutting down the real economy, finding a way of turning off the engine of the real economy. Why? Because any leakage of that huge amount of money into the, uh, the, the real economy would have caused massive hyperinflation, right? Would have caused a huge destruction, devaluation of assets, of, of real assets, devaluation of currencies, and and you know you, you can you can you know like a Weimar twenty um, uh, like a Weimar nineteen twenties, but much worse because as I said earlier everything is interconnected in our economy everything is connected, so it would have caused a complete shock to the system, and I think in capitalist terms like looking at this from the you know the short sight short sighted sort of capitalist mole eyes the only solution. <laughs> was to inject these massive amounts of money into the system to plug the holes in, in the financial sector, whilst at the same time turning off the tap of money circulating down in the, you know, in the real economy. It's like when you, you, know, when you, um, when you have to sort out a radiator at home, the first thing you do is to close, turn off the water at the mains, right? That's the way you do it. You need to turn off water circulation in order to sort out the, the radiator or, or if, if you sort out the engine in your car you need to first turn your car off otherwise you know there's, there's, there's a problem so i think i think there's enough evidence to say that in a sense this is what happened right covid served a very specific uh, purpose uh, which was that of inundating the financial sector with freshly printed money, digital money, right? We're talking about yeah. we're talking about digital bytes, right? I mean, this is yeah. just computer money, a few zeros added to some figures, and 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 frozen in some computer in some kind of you know central bank computers. Then Wall Street computers were 
where, where everything is kind of at least provisionally sorted out, right? So that we don't get a financial crash or a liquidity uh, you know, crunch, which would, call a which would cause a financial crash. Uh, but again, well, what, the, what point, been... the point is, sorry. sorry. I'd say what would have been the effect that we would have seen of a financial well, crash? Because would it I have meant the effect... that the bankers would have had to have sold their sold their elaborate homes five homes that they own and uh their collection yeah, I think it's of, more than that. I mean, I, I, you know you're talking about contagion right contagion is a medical term that we tend to use in relation to covid but contagion should be used beforehand right to think about the kind of situation that was developing like a domino effect situation developing in the financial markets because it would have it would have it would have destroyed most businesses even down on the ground and you know it could have got to the point where you go to the cash point and there's no money there anymore yeah so we're talking about something huge something really catastrophic that in a sense had to be stopped um but because we all live course, digitally as well don't yeah. we well the logic is totally perverse anyway because how do how did we get to that point right inflating <laughs> the financial sector so much yeah that then if something happens we have to stop everything else to repair it right and i think COVID. If if it, if it wasn't planned to do that, I, I don't have the evidence, right? That's that's but the, that's the question that none of us coincidence. are allowed to talk about. Well, yeah, it was exactly. But then, if it wasn't planned, let's say it wasn't planned, then it was the, the miraculous yes. coincidence, right? Or some kind yes. of divine intervention, if you believe in in kind of financial god of sorts, right? And yes, <laughs> because it really it really sort of helped them sort Couldn't out. Couldn't have the, happened the, at a better time. Uh, making sure that fear uh, uh, still circulates, right? The yeah. fear, of, uh, fear of the virus, so that you can still kind of have semi-states semi of emergencies that, that again, allows the, those who actually are in charge of liquidity, of, of, mon of monetary control, to, um, to keep, keep, on, keep a lid on circulation of money down on the ground. Yeah. And in a sense, what we're seeing now is precisely what, what was about to happen, what, what was inevitably going to happen, inflation. We don't get hyperinflation, thank God, but we still, but we got rising inflation. Yeah. We know that everything is going up because money is circulating, starting to circulate, circulate faster and faster in the real economy. And I think it's a matter of understanding that there's a leakage, basically, right, of money from this astronomical uh, uh, figures that have been uh, placed in the financial sector down to um, our uh, kind of uh, retail um, circuit. Do you, do, you think where, where that's, do you think that in this country, anyway, in the UK, that's why, you know, I mean, that's why they uh, wanted to stop furlough? and um get people to go back to work and stopped the uh benefit system that was giving everybody a little tiny bit of money to survive on during this lockdown i think you know i i think that they 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 knew that they couldn't reopen straight away they knew that they couldn't reopen so they need they, they they're now very tentatively trying to go back to some kind of normality but as you can see, it is not really normality. There's still the threat of closures. Again, green passes, for example, uh, creating problems to the economy. But I think it's all deliberate to try and, 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 and slow down. Now, the big problem is inflation. You know, they, they call it temporary inflation, like Colin Powell from the 
the, the CEO of the Fed called it temporary inflation, but now he knows that it's not temporary. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be here to stay. It's going to go up gradually, at least in the next few years. And from the way I see it, in, in the only way to stop it from becoming a runaway inflation or a runaway hyperinflation even, it's to continue to implement some kind of state of emergency. So we are now addicted to states of emergencies, right? Paradoxically, because with states of emergencies, you get propaganda, you get control of the economy, you get control of people's lives, you get acceleration of the digitalization program, which might end eventually to uh, central bank digital currencies. This is what it, you know, they're actually saying it that they want to get there. They are explicitly saying, you know, the, the, the manager, the, the director of the, of the Bank of International Settlements, Agustin Carlsten, says it, you know, you can look him up on the, on the web and he says, we want to get to um, central bank digital currencies because that allows us to have full control of, of, of people's spending. Yeah. And, and that solves the problem if we get there, of course solve the problem at, at the cost of at the price of monetary slavery as it were and monetary and everything else slavery uh, because you won't be able to do anything simply because you're under somebody's control all the time right yeah. and i i think i think that we are in a position where you know the only advantage we have in a sense is to know that they are quite confused as well they don't really have the answer to this um and uh, they know that, for example, reopening the economy means infl inflation, but they only they also know that I don't think people will will, will continue to take the closures, right? They continue to continue to take the lockdowns. Let's say we yeah, go we go back to lockdown in uh, Christmas, right? Which is a possibility. If 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 yeah. the, the economy is not growing, you know, they, they predicted the economy to grow by six percent, you know, the US economy, etc. Now today is the, the forecast is one point three percent. The well, US of course, economy, how, can, right? how can the economy grow if you're not producing anything or manufacturing anything? Exactly. If people are locked up at home. I mean, this yeah, is no, a deeper gonna... problem. There's a deeper, yeah. sorry, there's a deeper problem with production of wealth in our societies, right? I think this, yeah. this goes back to the issue of automation, that labor is being um, um, shed yes. more and more. Um, it's been eliminated by by machines. This is something that even Marx predicted a long time ago. Yeah, and in the seventies, and, and eventually we will get there. We will get to complete automation or near complete automation, where 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 labor, as we know it, will become superfluous for the capitalist system, right? But at the same time, the capitalist system is shooting itself in the in the foot by doing that because. Um, it, because that means that the real economy is less and less profitable. Yeah. Hence, the flight to the financial markets, where you make profits not not through labor, not by making people work, but by making money work. Yeah. Right. So pr the profitability situation has completely changed the last forty years. Hence, yeah. the kind of financialization of the economy, which we've experienced, I think, you know, progressively uh, since the nineteen eighties, like a huge. And, and that is, I think, a consequence, and that ultimately tells us something about the implosion of our economic system, right? It's really imploding slowly but surely. Yeah. Um, and that is ultimately, I think, the bigger, the big, the big problem behind everything. The fact that we, we don't produce, or the, the private sector doesn't produce enough surplus value anymore, and the economy is less and less profitable as such, 
Hence, there's a problem of taxation. Hence, there's a problem of how to finance uh, uh, infrastructures uh, through uh, uh, revenues, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So I think that's that's where we are. I've, I kind of summed it up a bit quickly, but hopefully the point came across. I, I think it's also very important to, to bring in this, the, the, the political dimension to this, because Fabio has described extremely well the economics of the finance markets component of the COVID-19 event. But what we can see now with the political dimension of this with organizations such as the World Economic Forum and their promotion for some time now of this fourth industrial revolution, the build back better, the vision of digital cities, that that's very clear and can be seen by people. And, and there's some good work out there from investigative journalists such as uh, Corey Morningstar and Whitney Webb who've been documenting this for some time, but that sort of is almost ideological political vision of the future of how we're all to live is dovetailing with what we see with the economics and it's dovetailing into what I think is potentially a profound concentration of power. And, and you can see this with the, the drive to vaccinate everybody, to get onto vaccine passes and digital ID. These are all stepping stones digital ID, which gets you to the point of central banks and central uh, a, a digital currency linked to the central banks. And that's, that's what's emerging very, very clearly at this point in time. And what that means politically, if, if we're moving into a world where we're going to have digital IDs, um, where our right to participate in society is dependent upon taking an injection, and it's not just one or two, Israel it's now up to three, it's going to be an injection every six months. If our participation in society is going to be dependent upon that, and it's going to be running through to this digital ID, and then you're going to have the central bank digital currency, which gives them complete control over transactions. Yeah. You just got to think for a second, think what this means for the autonomy of, of people and individuals. Yeah. And some commentators out there are talking about this looks like, you know, this is totalitarianism, this is tyranny. And and that's, I, I don't think those are inaccurate ways of describing this, but, but certainly at Without a doubt, this involves concentration of power and the removal of autonomy from people. Yeah. Um, and the, the, the most concrete manifestations of this, um, and I, I guess I want to say this without sounding too dramatic, but the concrete manifestations of this, what we're seeing in Australia, um, we're seeing police rounding people up for being outside. In Canada, we're seeing people being fired, as I mentioned before, for not having taken the, uh, the, the vaccine, the, the injection. Yeah. And in Germany, we, for example, we're seeing segregation emerging, and that's on the, in, in France as well. Th these, these are all big warning signs to people that yeah. we've got concentration of power and we have profoundly, um, well, I mean, We've never sort of gone down the road of vaccinating entire populations and coercing them essentially to do it in this way. This is extraordinary steps which are being taken. And all of this, I think, is really should be a wake-up call. And this dovetailing of, of these political agendas that we see manifesting through the WEF and then the kind of hard economics of this with the finance markets and the central banks is coming together, is, is, is taking us down a road where it's not inaccurate to say that we're, we're losing democracy. And I, and I think we are. We're rapidly losing 
um, any remnants of democracy. Um, mm. And it's very important that, as you said, sort of, you know, you're on newspaper, you would never really written anything about COVID and you didn't want to go into territories which was, you know, not sort of the official view on COVID. They, in a way, the political actors driving these changes have, have taken advantage of that, that people are sort of transfixed uh, or a lot of people are transfixed by, transfixed by COVID-19 and the virus and don't feel they should question anything because they're seen to be bad citizens or not helping deal with uh, COVID-19 and so on. The, the, this fear and this, um, as it were, some would say obsession that people have developed with, with COVID-19 is, is just being uh, used, I think, sort of ruthlessly by the, these powerful entities to push through what we're seeing now and we're, we're rapidly running down this road um to potentially to as fabio described the ultimate goal of digital currency central bank digital currency um and it's a hell of a coincidence isn't it well, you know, it, it, you don't necessarily, it, it, it could well be instigated for the purposes of, or as Fabio said, it could just be a happy coincidence, or no, sorry, a happy coincidence for them. I mean, you don't necessarily have to take a strong position on that. Um, you just have to sort of at least sort of recognize that powerful actors, guess what? Powerful actors, powerful political and economic actors have throughout history and continue to this day to exploit crises and, and events in order to do things that they wouldn't otherwise be able to get away with. Um, and this is what we, I think we have pretty clearly now with COVID-19. So wherever COVID-19 came from, and I am aware now that this, we're allowed now to talk about the sort of the lab leak thing about being oh, a conspiracy theorist because governments talk about it now. Well, apparently we are, yes, that, that one's on, back on the agenda. As, as it were, but without going into any of that, you, you can see at the, at the very least, um, people should be at least concerned um, at the way in which COVID-19, you know, might be used, might, might be being used to usher in these, these major changes which are being described here. Yeah, we, we have found uh, in, in independent media that if we didn't follow the, the propaganda line, if we didn't toe the line, we would be removed from uh, social media, from any network that we had worked so hard to build up. We, we are not still not allowed to, uh, I mean, uh, what we call in this country the right wing uh, propaganda merchants of uh, like Tommy Robinson and uh, Katie, Katie Hopkins, um, they've all been removed from from social media. And was it because uh, they they spoke um, they spoke hate at everybody? Well ostensibly yes but also they were the ones that are that are provoking these um anti-lockdown marches and and trying to tell people that there there is a problem there is something behind there is an agenda behind all of this so would you say that uh, perhaps what can people do to inform themselves you know have you, have you got a list of people that that are talking the truth because apart from you two no, no for, for sure i mean i'll, I'll let for you comment i don't want to take up too much there have been some people very clear from the start i mean i mean the, the work of Corey morningstar independent canadian journalist also whitney webb u.s independent journalist has been very good from the start about the political dimension of this 
Uh, Fabio will probably have some more names to add, but you have people such as Professor Werner of quantitative easing fame, um, Catherine Austin Fitz, um, Ernst Wolf. These, these are all experts, economists, and, and so on, who, who are speaking very clearly about the processes that Fabio has been setting out in, in, yeah. in what he's saying. So it's certainly not just us. There's, there's quite a large number of people who have been saying this. And on, as I said at the start, on this issue of COVID-19 and it, is lockdown necessary? Is uh, our injections, mass injections, the right way to go? There's masses of scientists, I mean, who are talking out. People can look yeah. at PAN data or HEART in the UK. There was a recent conference in Portugal, which has got thousands of scientists signing a, a petition. Um, Professor Robert Malone, inventor of part of the mRNA technology, see what he's saying. Um, and, and also, just on, on your point, I mean, people such as Jimmy Dore in the US, but also Glenn Greenwald are now talking much more openly about this. And also, I noticed Russell Brand as well, and he's still on YouTube. So there is more and more people talking about this. So it's not too difficult. I think if people follow any of those names I've mentioned to start to get a better informed about what's going on. And they've yes, all I, been... I... You can tell who's talking the truth, um, I often say, because they're the ones getting smeared and lied about and shut down. Yeah, it's it's been in, it kind of, it, there's an, intimida an intimidation also going on, right? Censorship plus intimidation, it's quite difficult. But I think from what I've seen or see around me, um, more and more people are allowed to talk now, right? It's almost like, even, even on mainstream media, there's almost like, I, and, and that, pleases me immensely of course because i think okay there's a chance here for people to understand at least you know some to get a different message it doesn't have to be the, the truth but a, a, a kind of critical message that wasn't allowed before and that's now possible but at the same time it worries me because uh, if this is allowed to come through uh, for example through the media uh, what have they got in mind now right so what's what's coming next it's almost yeah. as if the, the COVID bubble is deflating uh, as a kind of propaganda bubble in those terms, uh, slowly deflating. I'm not sure whether they will actually deflate completely, but it looks as if more and more people are becoming a bit fed up with this and they kind of sense that there's something fishy or, you know, about this. Yeah, the peasants are and, revolting. Uh, <laughs> but, but then I also kind of know that they, they need emergencies. They need, they need to keep uh, us under a state of emergency in order to to continue to you know to to, to keep those privileges in their in, in those places and to keep the system from collapsing even worse right or, or yeah. at least from their point of view um so i wonder what what's coming next in in a way if this one deflates and goes away i think it will be replaced by another one pretty soon whether it's the aliens or 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 or, or war games in in southeast asia or, yeah. or um, I know, a tsunami, uh, the Atlantic, or something like that. It's the, probably it going to be. Faced. It's probably going to be the uh, the AUKUS, isn't it? The Australian, yeah. UK, or, or and that, American I, I think we will soon be uh, looking at maybe even a different one, or you know, or um, of, of, or the return of, of of COVID in a different way. Um, but what what seems clear to me is that they need they need to keep the lid on on uh, what or, or rather they need to move what we used to know as kind of liberal capitalism to a kind of authoritarian type of capitalism. Yeah. 
uh, monopoly capitalism. And I think that's the well, we've got a question problem. for you from uh, Alison. A uh, question to the man whose name I missed. His name is Fabio. Who, okay. ex who explained the economic background? How much awareness of this is there within financial circles? So your local <sighs> bank manager or the teller at your bank, are they going to know right. any of this? It depends at which level they are. At the top, I think they all know it. Mm -hmm. they, they are fully aware of what's going on. They just don't have the... Um, the solution to this so i think at the moment I ju they're just procrastinating right they, they're kicking the can down the road they don't really know what to do next apart from the fact that they know that they, they need to keep uh, control over over the economy and they need and and at the same time they need to keep the kind of monetary um creation programs going right they need to keep so so for example they're talking about taper or tapering which is the reduction of monetary stimulus right they've been talking about it for a while Apparently, it will start in December. Uh, in, 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 you know, the, the Fed have said that, uh, but they're just buying time because they know that that's not possible. The moment they they reduce uh, money creation, uh, digital money creation, everything we go we're back to square one. There's a problem in the financial system and everywhere else. So, so the monetary um, yeah, I think they know. What you're talking Sorry. about though is the financial for the financial services, not not for ordinary people. Yeah, I think they they know, but I think most ordinary people probably are not aware of this, or even worse, they don't want to be aware of it. Right? There's sometimes <laughs> there's a tendency to, you know, deliberately mm. uh, disavowing the problem, so denying the problem, pretending it's not there because you want to carry on like before. Yeah. Um, and and I think that's the biggest obstacle in a sense, right? I think people need to know. That if you scratch a little bit the surface, there's a much bigger hot potato underneath, right? You need, you need to deal with that why, first. That's why people are following the rules so much, especially yeah, in this country. I, I think the majority of the population in this country are following the rules set down by the propaganda, mainstream media, the government, who, whoever, the, the financial establishment that run it all behind the scenes. Um, they're, they're all following the rules, aren't they? Because they don't want things to change. They want, as the generation, if you go back generations and generations, family life has still been, or community life has still been pretty much the same. And, but also and, because it's a very divisive issue, right? I mean, it, it, yeah. it destroys I mean, The moment you start bringing this up, you, you find yourself uh, accused of being a conspiracy theorist or, yeah. or paranoid person. And that can destroy your life. So it takes a bit of courage to yeah. to think critically against the grain here. And I think people have to summon that courage more and more, and 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 share and 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 you know find some kind of way of connecting uh, through that critical thinking, rather than just pretending that everything's fine. That if we only if only we follow the orders that we've been we're given, um, everything will be back to normal. It won't yeah, go back we, to normal. Well, and we I, I always think, think, don't we, that people will uh, people know better than us, and and we close our eyes to the fact that yeah, they might know better than us, but they're not they're not kind, and they're not they're not doing it with a beneficial thought in their head. No. Sorry, Piers, I, you were going to say. I, I mean, I mean, 
my, my sense is that across populations, across most Western democracies, my guess is that you're probably looking at about 20% of the population who has believed all the propaganda, okay? Yes. You're also then looking at about 20% of the population who don't, have, don't believe the propaganda and who recognize that there's a deeper level political and economic change is being pushed on us. And those are the people that you see out in the protests. And yes. it's important not to underestimate. We've seen sustained, the most sustained and widespread protests I've ever seen in my life across multiple democracies again. So yeah. you, you, a big chunk of what, and then you got the 60% maybe of the population who, who don't really believe all the propaganda, but think this is going to come to an end. That it will, the government will just one day say, well, COVID-19 has all been solved and we can all go back to normal. And what I think the mistake that they're probably making here is that we're not going to go back to normal because this hasn't primarily been about a health crisis. It's been about political and economic agendas and they're, going, they're not going to stop. <laughs> they're going to carry on. And so it's really important for that sort of 60% of the population who, who realize that something's not quite right, but they just think, you know, the government have just overreacted, they'll stop, we'll go back to normal, and, and they need to realize that it's actually not going to come to an end unless there's more organized resistance. And, and, and I think we are seeing this, we're seeing organizations and protests and political parties across Western democracies pushing back against this. And they're not small by any means, they're, they're pretty substantial. Um, and so I, I think you know, it's important for people to, to start to grapple with these issues so that they start to realize that this is not going to suddenly come to an end. I mean, heaven's sake, we're almost two years into this now. Flattening the curve for three weeks, which it started with. A lot of people have said, you know, that, that um, it's something that we've got to learn to live with, uh, this, this virus. So, but... Also, when you look at um, the, the general policy of our government of herd immunity, <coughs> um, well, he, he's, he's done everything that could allow herd immunity to become a thing, yet no one seems immune. Everybody has to keep having injections. Everybody has to um, keep distancing and uh, wearing masks and not protesting and not gathering together in large numbers. So, and people keep dying according to the figures, you know, a thousand people a day are dying. So none of, none of his things have worked, have they? If he's trying to, if he's trying to push some kind of draconian, uh, rules onto us. The only thing that he could be benefiting from, perhaps, is is the excess deaths. Yeah. But even that is something that we don't really know about. Given some mm. figures, the stats are very complicated. We don't really know whether there's been any excess. Some people argue there hasn't been any excess death. You know, in, yeah, in most countries hit by COVID, and that has been a case of diagnostic reclassification. So instead of saying, you know. These people died of, of you know, of the flu. other diseases, flu Pneumonia. perhaps, yeah. and the, some, some, some people argue that the flu suddenly disappeared and, 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 and COVID came, when COVID came. So there's a number of perspectives on this from uh, very well-known scientists who contradict uh, the official orthodox um, 
you know, narrative that we're given all the time. So even at the medical level, it's 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 much more complex than it seems, and uh, yeah. people should question that. Um, but, but again, yeah, it's, it's difficult to do. I fully understand people struggling with everyday life, then having to to do this on top of that. It's not an easy thing to do. But I think I I can sense that there's some kind of awakening going on, and people are either tired of of this, you know, ongoing emergency when they see they don't see it around them necessarily um uh, uh, or getting more and more information uh um about it not being what 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 they tell us it is um, yeah the, this is it there's so much information around but who to believe who do you yeah. believe do you believe dr fauci is it um do you believe uh hillary hillary someone is a doctor here who who appears on a show called good morning britain and mm. um he's been trying to persuade people to get their children inoculated and um that now there's a huge protest outside his house every day um of people shouting through laid, loud hailers you know how many children have died today because of they've been given the injection uh, to inoculate them against uh, dying of COVID because it doesn't inoculate you against catching it, does it? It just helps support you not die of it. So if we believe the mainstream narrative in any way, shape or form, we can probably believe about 1% of it. So therefore, so therefore, what do we how do we combat this and find the truth in amongst all this conflicted information and you know the, the only things that are provable are economic facts uh medical data but the people that are gathering this data have got an agenda of their own haven't they what I, I think that pe people can can combat some of this, uh, this you know, not knowing what what the truth and so on. Part of this is about getting people to think, as as we've been saying in this talk, about the political economic, the political economy of COVID nineteen. That's absolutely critical. But in terms of what people are being told by the government, I mean, you know, th there is plenty of information out there online uh, from scientists who are questioning what's going on in organizations. And I think people, what people need to do is, is to try to, as much as they can, use their own intelligence and judgment. Um, we know, for example, you know, my own field of the war on conflict and propaganda, we know that governments and mainstream media and even academia are very biased when it comes to uh, coverage of war on conflict. Um, but it's also now become very apparent in, in the case of with COVID-19 that the same applies um, in relation to issues such as health issues. Um, it doesn't take too much to every narrative they haven't got control of. Yeah, you know, political power sort of, you know, exerts tremendous influence on mm -hmm. academia and mainstream media. Um, and if, you, if people keep that in mind and then start to think through and, and start to actually look for information, alternative in, information, independent information, and then try to use their own judgment and and, you know, it, it doesn't, I think most people can understand, for example, the arguments made by some scientists early on that if you lock down an entire population, you will cause a lot of collateral damage, that people will start to die from other things which are not being treated for. Loneliness, not, Yeah, it's not difficult to, but you have to sort of be confident to use your own intelligence and think, well, maybe the government isn't 
saying the right thing, isn't doing the right thing, and think through logically about what's being done. And I think that kind of notion of people sort of developing this kind of confidence in their own ability to judge information and not simply to believe or follow what they're being told, but to question and scrutinize, not just to sort of disbelieve the government automatically, but to actually scrutinize what you're hearing from the government. I think, does that make sense? Are there other voices out there which are raising questions? Is it the case that there are you know, scientists who've got nothing to gain, who are getting smeared and who are raising questions as you know, Professor Bakdi in Germany from the very start, uh, that might make you think, well, okay, maybe one should at least pay attention or listen to what they have to say, as well as listening to uh, Hillary, um, or Dr. Hillary, or any of the other um, academics who, or and scientists who tend to occupy a lot of the airtime on the mainstream media. Yeah, um, so, it takes well, work, but it, it can be done, and 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 I think people. But this is critical. People need to trust their own judgment um, when looking at information and thinking about it. Well, we we only have three minutes left. Sorry to sort of cut you off a bit short there, and I just wanted Fabio to be able to to tell us how can we help or or find out more about the this you know for a layman i know that's an old-fashioned use of mm. wording but how can we inform ourselves of these economic strategies that are being applied it's it's something that requires a little bit of knowledge about how the the, the economy works right not you don't have to have a degree in economics to understand it i think that's the first thing to know people don't need a degree in economics it's it's not as complicated as it seems because you when you look into the financial sector oh my god it's it's all these acronyms and these things going on it's it's you know it's scary you, you never you can never understand it but it's like learning a few basic things about how it works right yeah. the financial sector first of all being fundamentally a kind of debt leveraged uh, um, system of speculation so based on debt right and and it's it's like a massive um balloon inflating all the time but it's 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 not real money fundamentally okay real money is, ma is made in production we know that i think the, the other the other question okay i don't want to get too much into it because then it becomes uh, a less well, a, a political I'm, economy we don't have the time but I, really uh, sorry, my advice would be yeah my advice would be well, don't be afraid it's it's actually something that everybody can actually look into and learn about and question everything all right and well i'd like to thank you I'd like to thank you both very much for your time. And I'm awfully sorry that uh, Chris had these uh, these troubles. And I'm sorry to all the audience that we weren't able to get most of your questions in. There are lots of questions for you. If you'd both like to, if you have the time, to go to the YouTube link or the Facebook link and, and if you wanted to answer any of those questions, that would be fantastic. Um, so, Gaz, if you want to take them out, please, thank you very much. Uh, and I'd just like to tell everybody about the um, the Resist Festival, 16th and 17th of October in Nottingham. Please come. Buy your tickets. They're available. Uh, I think Gaz is running the thread across the bottom of the screen there. Please join us in Nottingham. We've got a huge amount of people coming to tell you about all sorts of things. Interactive. You can talk, ask questions. There are workshops. There is lots of things happening. Please come.